and welcome to Jiu-Jitsu 22. I'm Tish Durkin, and this is your Monday Midterm Mini. Not a whole argument, but just a little riff on what's hitting me right now about the wonderful world of GOP tomfoolery. Actually, for once this week, it's not just GOP tomfoolery. In these days of neo-Confederate fascism, I'm almost always shocked and horrified by any attempt to attribute equivalent madness to both sides of the aisle. But at this point in the run-up to the midterms, there is one admonition that applies at least as much to Democrats as it does to Republicans, and that admonition is, polling is trolling. What am I talking about? Polling is about taking the national pulse, hearing the voice of America, allowing real people to weigh in on the real issues of the day. Isn't that what democracy is all about? No. No, 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 no. In fact, I would argue that our body politic would be a whole lot better off if its temperature weren't being taken every hour of every day. And I would argue that even if the readings were always 100% accurate, which they most certainly are not. Remember late September, early October of 2016? Back then, the big question being turned up by the polling wasn't whether or not Hillary Clinton was going to defeat Donald Trump. It was whether our first woman president was going to sweep a Democratic Senate into office with her. In 2020, Biden versus Trump aside, Democrats seem sure to maintain, if not increase, their comfortable majority in the House. And as for the Senate, Democratic challengers appeared to be on the cusp of defeating some of the most safely ensconced Republican incumbents. In Iowa and Maine, for example, Teresa Greenfield and Sarah Gideon had pulled even, if not a little ahead, of Joni Ernst and Susan Collins, respectively. In 2021, here in my home state of New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy was going to sail to re-election on a fat, fluffy, at least eight-point cushion. None of that happened. In 2016, the GOP took the White House and both houses of Congress. In 2020, Biden, of course, won the presidency, but Democrats lost many seats in the House and only barely claimed the Senate, in spite of the fact that Ernst and Collins trounced Greenfield and Gideon. In 2021, Murphy squeaked to re-election. That result was at such variance with all the best polling that soon afterward, Patrick Murray, director of the well-respected Monmouth University Polling Institute, published a scathingly self-critical op-ed in which he drew a distinction between the evident utility of public interest polls, which measure attitudes that respondents actually have, and the highly dubious value of horse race-style election polls, which are necessarily based on guesswork as to which voters will actually vote. As Murray noted, the flaws intrinsic in election polling had become so glaring that two giants of the field, Gallup and Pew, had abandoned the activity altogether. In fairness, in 2018, the polls did pretty much hit the mark. But that means that in three out of the last four go-rounds, in terms of the accuracy with which they predicted results, the polls weren't worth the time it took non-respondents to hang up on the poor suckers calling them, or texting them or trying to reach them online. The relative dependability of such methods of contact is among the variables that has scrambled the business of polling as has the apparently disproportionate tendency of certain groups to answer questions dishonestly or not at all. Those are all entirely legitimate problems and no reflection upon the intelligence or integrity of the professionals trying to work their way around them. But it's not as if the industry has gone on hiatus while figuring all this stuff out. In the aftermath of 2020, when polling errors were the worst in 40 years, 
the American Association for Public Opinion Research delved into the question of what went wrong, but didn't find an answer. Nonetheless, plenty of surveys are still coming out, still being accorded great respect and attention, still mattering a great deal. Well, meaning, you know, nothing. Oh, come on, they can't mean nothing. I mean, strict accuracy aside, polling surely must be of some other value to the general public, right? Some pretty major news organizations certainly seem to think so. Turn to election season political coverage anywhere and you'll find large swaths of time and space devoted to polling and discussion of polling. You'll see pie charts and bar charts and graphs illustrating and hear all manner of experts dissecting what candidates are surging or lagging or holding their own, which voters care, how much about which issues, how white college educated women or cranky blue collar men or non-white Hispanics between the ages of 24 and 45 who voted for Obama and then Trump and then Biden now about whether the country is heading in the right direction or the wrong direction or no direction at all. I, for one, find it so difficult to wrap my head around all this stuff. I often forget to ask, why am I wrapping my head around all this stuff? It's a really good question. For those running for office and those being paid to help them get elected, it's easy to see the point of obtaining and sifting through this kind of data. For the rest of us, well, what are we getting out of it? What are we really learning? Even if polling perfectly revealed how other Americans are evaluating candidates for themselves, would that enhance your or my ability to evaluate candidates for ourselves? Or would it more likely detract from that ability? In my opinion, it would, it does detract in more than one way. For starters, there's the possibility that when it comes to political information, That which is totally useless to the average voter is crowding out that which could be useful. Here's a pie chart I'd like to see. The amount of time political news shows spend beating everyone over the head with the fact that inflation and crime and immigration are good issues for Republicans this year, while abortion and democracy are good issues for Democrats, versus the amount of time they spend elucidating those issues in any way that would help a normal person weigh them in such a manner as to cast an informed vote. Yes, there absolutely are journalists who do heavy lift, in-depth, yeoman work on the root causes of big problems and the social, fiscal, logistical, and other implications of the various possible solutions. But that's over in the wonk sections of the newspapers and hardly anywhere on TV. Meanwhile, over in the realm of political coverage, nobody cares how an issue is. For politicians, and more remarkable for most of those who cover them, it's all about how it seems, how it looks, how it plays, who it trips up, what the respective campaigns will do if it pops up in October. I know that even in bemoaning this state of affairs, I sound just like the cranky old battle axe I am. It has long since become savvy or sophisticated to accept this level of indifference to substance, naive if not actively biased to push back against it. It's as if somewhere along the line, political journalists morphed into political consultants, and their role became that of coaching the public on how to be political consultants, too. But most people aren't aspiring political consultants. Most people are consumers of policy, oftentimes victims of policy, about which they learn absolutely nothing from the polls. Then, too, all this ritualized prediction as to who might win does influence who gets so much as a shot. 
even as some of its own leading practitioners are questioning its ways and means and ultimate effects, polling very largely determines what candidates are deemed worthy of news coverage or places on a debate stage or funding. If you've ever made one political donation, you have gone on to be asked to make a thousand, often in the following way. Hey, friend, great news. Nate Silver's 538 polling average puts me neck and neck with my opponent. Send money. Which message itself is neck and neck with other messages, sometimes from the same candidate on the same day, saying, hey, friend, tough news. The Real Clear Politics polling average has me falling behind my opponent. Send money. Listeners, there are many reasons to send every nickel, dime, and quarter you can to Cherry Beasley in North Carolina, to Tim Ryan in Ohio, to Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, to Val Demings in Florida, to John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. But how their prospects appear in a survey that is likely so flawed as to be fictional is not in the top 200. Last but not least, polling has become what I would call a reverse LBJ. Attempting to draw sane conclusions from an insane environment, it is the ultimate art of the impossible. If pollsters think it's hard to control for the people who may be lying to them, they should get a load of interpreting those who are telling the truth. If today a pollster called me up and asked me whether I felt that this country is on the right track, I would probably say no. But that's not because I dislike the Democrats. It's because I fear MAGA Republicans. The very factors that feed my impulse to say that this country is on the wrong track are the factors that feed my impulse to support as many Democrats as possible, which I see as the only way to pull the country back on to the right track, which we absolutely positively can and must do. But we won't if so many of the most politically engaged among us keep on scrolling through the trolling that is polling. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll look for other episodes of Jiu-Jitsu 22. Midterm minis drop on Mondays, full episodes on Thursday mornings. 